Well, good mornings and greetings in the name of Jesus. It is a blessing to be here and worship together. And I invite you to the book of 1 Thessalonians for a message. 1 Thessalonians. So I meet with two friends every month. Sometimes we meet as couples and we talk probably for an hour or two, sometimes three. And we often look back and what's, what's been happening in life? And then we look forward and what's been happening in life? And a common phrase that I hear repeated is the next big thing. And you know what I mean, right? You look at your life and you're looking often thinking about the next big thing or the, the last big thing, and then you want to, and, and you talk about it. I was assigned a topic at another church, and the title is The Next Big Event. So if you were given the title The Next Big Event, uh, I wonder where you would go. Well, that's not quite fair. They did give me a passage of scripture, which I will eventually get to, but we often do talk about the next big thing. And we often talk about the last big thing. For all of us, it's, it's uh, something different. You know, years have their big things too. I don't know if you ever went back to a certain year in history and looked at the big thing of the year. Uh, I've several times had the opportunity to have graduation uh, commencement addresses, and I tend to have a pattern of looking back at the year that most of them were born. And, you know, you're going back about 18 years, and you can just go online and, and pretty much Google any year, and it'll give you maybe the top 10 events, according to whoever's writing, of that year. That's always an interesting thing to me. So I was thinking about this in, in light of studying for the, the next big event. And I, so I went back to 2023 and saw what a couple different people uh, said about the, the big things of 2023. And probably among the top of 2023, and we might have different opinions of this, but uh, it, it was a big deal when the, the Hamas people attacked Israel. That's probably one of the major events of 2023. Uh, some people thought the Hawaiian wildfires were a big thing. Uh, some people thought it was a big deal when WHO, World Health Organization, actually uh, declared that COVID-19 is no longer an emergency. That happened in 2023. Uh, I didn't know this, but July of 2023 was the hottest that the global world temperature ever was in the world. That was interesting to me. I'm curious, did anybody catch that? 20, okay, a couple of people did. 2023, uh, July. Well, my point, big things, big events. We do mark them, and they're significant. Sometimes we're even told in scripture to make memorials, make a big stone, so you don't forget the big thing. 
Somebody told me the most, uh, the most important decisions you'll ever make in life is the decision to follow Christ and then the decision to spend the rest of your life with one person. And they're big deals. So we, it's right that you remember those big events and so on. Actually, it was Merle Burkholder that just said a couple weeks ago, he said, well, at the end of the day, when, at the end of life, when your book's all written, the three most important ingredients, and I want to come back to this and maybe even develop a message on it. It's so powerful and so profound. There are three major decisions or, or, or issues that are going to affect the whole book, the book of your life. And he, I, he's so right. Number one, the decision to follow Christ. Number two, the decision to follow, uh, the decision to spend the rest of your life with somebody. And the decision who you fellowship with, he's right on. That's, I, would, I would totally echo that. They're big. They're defining. They, they make up so much of your, uh, I shouldn't be holding the Bible up, but the, the book of your life. So big things. We use calendars quite a bit. I do. I was just in my study this morning thinking, I wonder. How many times I open up my, my uh, app on my phone and pull up my calendar? I don't know if, if when you made the switch to this, <laughs> how many of you ever did this in life? I'll guarantee you uh, a couple people did, older folks. I was stubborn. I could not let go of this. I mean, this was so practical. It was so right. I mean, two-year planner, I, at a glance, I was so stubborn to go to my phone. But uh, finally, when Joyce and I can sync our schedules and highlight and color code, and she can be in another state and put, and put something in, and, and right there it is on my phone, I switched. So I now use my phone for my, my calendar. But I wonder how many times in a, in, a, in a week you go to your phone and you look at your schedule. You look at your, your planner, and sometimes I'm embarrassed how many times I do it. I, what's really embarrassing, I guess I can be totally honest and open, and my wife, Joyce, will forgive me, but we can look at our schedule in the morning when we're having our coffee, and we'll look at the events of the day, and we have a, we have an, a, a meeting in the evening, and about 7, 30, 8 o'clock, we both look at each other. We forgot, totally forgot. Maybe that's a sign of, of, of old age, but that happened once or twice. Another thing about uh, schedules is plans change quite a bit, right? Uh, I don't know how many times I went into my phone this week and changed things. Plans change. This message is not intended to focus on your calendar and my calendar. This message is to highlight that God has a calendar too. God's got a timetable. And it trumps ours. Did you figure that out? <laughs> There's pretty many times in life where his, 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 his timetable trumped ours. I mean, there's certain things you don't have in here. You don't have funerals in for the year, right? And how many times did uh, something like that, some, some big event, cancel one of your events? God's got a timetable. That's what I want. That, the reason I talked about our calendar 
whatever form of uh, form you use to keep track of time, in a little way helps me to understand that God's got a calendar and a timetable. God never forgot an appointment. He never, his phone never rang and said, are you coming or aren't you? Oh, the panic of when that happens. And the embarrassment. He's never late. Never. He got a schedule. He's never late. And he's never got a schedule conflict. That's annoying, right? Schedule conflicts. That's the day we live in. To try to organize events that fit everyone's schedule is just so difficult. He's on time. He's right on time all the time. Sometimes he, did th- sometimes he does things slowly, very slowly, over a period of 50, 100 years. Sometimes, suddenly. In fact, I was studying this message, and I, I thought, I wonder how many times I'm going to find the word suddenly. That's a study, and that's an intriguing study that you, you, I welcome you to do. Suddenly, there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Suddenly, Paul's, no, I should say it like this, and Paul's uh, marching off to Damascus, and suddenly a light struck him down. Uh, Acts 16, they're in prison, singing at midnight. Suddenly, there was an earthquake. God does things often, suddenly, without notice. I don't know if you get, or if you give 15-minute heads up. You ever do that? I do it all the time. And sometimes people do it to me, and it's kind of nice. You know, you have an appointment, somebody's coming, 15 minutes, I'll be there. I did it this week, meeting somebody. Uh, Kind of vague window of time, 15, I'll give you 15 minutes heads up. Sometimes God might do it, sometimes he don't. Sometimes he thinks this, suddenly. You know, talking about God's planner, he's got a planner for every one of you. He's got a planner for me. That, that's pretty neat. God said in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts I have for you. And another version would, would uh, render that, I know the plans I have for you. I got plans. And King James says, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Uh, We might better understand that. The thoughts of, of, of hope, a bright future. I have your best in mind. And that was written in the midst of captivity. That was written to uh, uh, his people that were in a very bleak uh, circumstances. I got, I got plans. So take heart, my brother, my sister. God's got a, 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 a planner. He's got your planner. He's got a plan. And he's got, a good, and he's got the best. And you might in the moment think, it is so dark and it is so hard. God's got a planner. I like that. He's got my planner. I got a planner. He got a planner. His planner's Trump. Don't forget that. I forget that. And also, what I really want to zero in on this morning is he's got the big picture planner. The big picture. The big picture planner, it's amazing, has every single person in the world's 
personal planners tucked in there, but in the, in the big picture planner are all the major events of the world. I don't know if you spend a lot of time in Answers in Genesis, if you've ever been there, Creation Museum. If you've been to Creation Museum, uh, you probably uh, maybe appreciate, maybe don't, his, his seven C's, Ken Ham's seven C's of history. Actually, I like it. I'm tempted to get Nate and Janessa and Hans to come up and sing it. <laughs> uh, no, they're shaking their heads. No, okay. Well, they sing it loudly at home sometimes. Uh, the seven, uh, Buddy Davis, I think, sings the seven seas of history. But uh, just that song helps you put it in perspective. The, the creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and then, what's the last one? Consummation. Maybe tucked in there should be the whole, the whole history of Israel and so on, but just, let's mark it down. God's got a big picture planner. Did you ever wonder where we are really at in the big picture planner? The title of the message that was given to me was The Next Big Event. We have it here. I'll guarantee you 90% of the people here this morning could say exactly what it is. We have it, and I'm talking to myself, we have it here, but do I have it here? Do I live like I know God's got a big picture planner? So the text they gave me was 1 Thessalonians 4. Did I give you that scripture? Please, If you're not there, turn there. I'm going to read about six verses it says i'm going to just break into verse 13. first thessalonians 4. i th this is so hard for me to break in here because first thessalonians you you probably understand the church at thessalonica they were going through persecution it was tough they had some real difficult questions apparently paul had to write words of comfort to them there seemed to be a lot of confusion in this church about eschatology or, or future events or specifically christ coming back it must have been a buzz topic and there was, pretty, there was some bizarre ideas going on. That's why Paul talks pretty much about the return of Christ in this letter. But I think in this letter, he, he really addresses how you should live in the midst of uh, uh, believing about in Christ's coming. And I really believe that there was some confusion. There was a little buzz topic going on about like, something that went something like this. Did you know that everybody that dies they won't experience Christ coming back. They missed it, they're dead, they're gone. That seems to me that there was, that, that was a buzz topic in the church, that all oh, the poor people that died, they're going to miss out on Christ coming back. So with that, let's go into verse 13. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or died. In other words, I don't want you to be ignorant of those people that died. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, 
by the word of the Lord. Now, that's added in there for clarity. And Paul's saying, this isn't just my whim. Uh, this, God spoke to me about this. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that would better be translated proceed in our language, go first, those which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. I love it. But that's some very interesting verses there that I don't know how to really un unpack. Somebody said, what Paul raised to the surface, he leaves us with more questions than answers. Now that's a critic writing, but there's some truth to that. I I'll be honest with you, I read those verses and that gives me a lot of questions. But they're fact. I believe it. I do not doubt it. I hope everybody in their heart saying, Amen. I don't doubt it. There's a lot of doubters. There's a lot of people that are even scoffing about it, Peter says. And maybe they're not maybe not scoffing in uh, verbally, but there's uh, there's a lot of opposition to the, what, what I just read there. So like I said, I'm, I'm convinced that there was a topic circulating in this church that was very concerned and, oh, the poor folks that died, and Paul makes it real clear. The folks that died in Christ are going to actually go first when Christ comes back. That's what it says. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. You probably heard the word rapture, right? I remember hearing somebody say, there ain't nothing like the rapture. You won't find it one time in the Bible. Well, you, that's true. You won't find the word rapture, but the phrase caught up uh, in Latin pretty much means rapto or rap. That's where, we get, that's where we get the word rapture. So play on words, whatever. Uh, there's whatever you want to call it. There's going to be an event that everybody's going to be caught up, and that actually, the word actually means snatched. Snatched and caught up, lifted up in the air to be with the Lord forever. That's pretty exciting. I, I wonder how many generations says, we're going to be the generation, okay? And every generation should live like they're the generation. And I'm wondering if you are... When's the last time you thought about that, that today, you, this year, 2024, maybe, big event, caught up to be with the Lord forever. That is supposed to bring comfort. The bottom line of the, the I know man puts their chapter breaks in, but it says, wherefore, comfort one another with those words. So everybody can answer that question in, your, in the depth of your heart. Does the return of the Lord bring you <sighs> comfort, home? I, I, I agree. There's a sense of mystery because we've never been there, right? 
If you went to a vacation spot 10 times and you're going back, there's something different, okay? But there's a sense of mystery, but, but is our faith that deep and that real and that grounded that it, it brings us a sense of comfort? We are called, it is a command to talk about this, comfort one another with these words. Well, so I don't really know how to explain what I just read. I just, I just know that it's going to be a great event. I believe it's the next one. And I believe that we are going to be caught up. I, I really believe what it means is that the folks that have died, no matter where they are, even those that were lost at sea, somehow their bodies will be resurrected and probably meet their spirit, which is somewhere, probably in a temporary place of paradise, what I understand from Scripture, and they're going to be reunited in a glorified body and meet the Lord, with the Lord. That's going to happen first. And we're probably going to, wow! I don't know if, I I, I don't know what we're going to see, but it's going to happen. And then we, that are alive, and remain here on earth in the middle of a wow are going to be snatched up, caught up, and we're going to defy gravity and we're going to be with the Lord forever. That's all I can say. I just don't know what else to say about it. That's pretty exciting. I'm... Then there's a couple other things that I want to point out in the passage that I just read. Uh, we're not to sorrow for those that have passed away like those that have no hope. That doesn't mean we shouldn't mourn. You know, in, in the Bible, there was times of mourning and grieving. In fact, I'm going to put a side note in here. I, I'm, I wonder if we know how to mourn and grieve. I think sometimes we stuff our emotions and we don't properly grieve and, and, and mourn and m- grieve losses that we have in life. That's not what it's saying here. It's, it's saying that we shouldn't just weep and wail and say, oh, they missed it. But then it says, like those that have no hope. And that is actually two words that everyone should underline in their Bible. And this is, this is a little sad part of this message, but it's reality. There are those that have no hope. And I want to just be very clear. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have nothing to look forward to. It will never get better. It will only get worse and worse and worse. That's the fate of a person without Christ. No hope. It's kind of another message, but it's tucked in the passage. Don't weep for the Christians that passed away like there's no hope. But the reality is, without Christ, there is no hope. Let's not confuse that. And I'm so convinced that this, what, what the passage that I just read is, is meant to be a, a, a tremendous encouragement for us. And I already said that it, sometimes it raises more questions than it provides answers for, but it does require faith. And I hope, I'm just r- repeating it, that's the next big event. I hope it excites you, and I hope you're looking forward to it. I'm going to read it one more time in, in the ESV, and you can follow <clears throat> 
You can follow with me. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound <coughs> of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are, who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I, don't, I just hope it brings comfort to you. I should read it again because I don't think I got it yet. Well, there's a lot of other passages in, in Scripture that, that bear that out. I have a few more slides that I'd like to share on this discussion of, uh, of end times, and my clicker disappeared. There it is. Uh, I, I concluded that people really do want to know. It's a subject that even people in the church and outside of the church, Christians, non-Christians, there's something, there is some, there's an awareness to the end times. And it's intriguing. People really want to know. Somebody once said, if you really want to fill up a, 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 an assembly, uh, to just tell everybody you have five things to look for on the end times. And people really want to know. There are, there are different viewpoints on the end times. I try to, I have an opinion, but I try to be very careful with my opinion because I'm convinced that some of the most versed scholars that uh, have studied and studied eschatology, when it all shakes down, they're going to say, oh, are you I never thought of that. I was wrong there. Just like Jesus, when his first advent, when he came first, there were, I don't know if anybody had it right, except uh, a few meager people like Simeon and, and Anna. But I'm just going to go through a, a, a bit of this. There's different views on Jesus' return. And, and it fits into what I'm talking about because... Is, in fact, I'm, I'm sad to say that so there, there, there has been an era of history that the contention was so strong that it just divided even, even churches. And it's, to me, that's, that's very sad. But here, here's, here's three basic beliefs when we're talking about end times. You have an all-millennial view, you have a pre-millennial view, and you have a post-millennial view. Okay? Big words. Millennial simply means thousand years, right? Ah means no. So let's do that one first. Ah millennial means no millennial. Ah millennial teaches that everything is symbolic of present conflicts. The second coming, pretty much everybody believes Jesus is coming back. 
But all millennials would believe that the second coming immediately ushers in final judgment and eternity. Okay? Very, very prevalent view. This view would deny a seven-year actual tribulation. This view would deny a literal, actual antichrist. This view denies a literal thousand-year reign on earth, okay, for whatever that's worth. Then you have the premillennial. Okay, let's back up again. There's three, all-millennial, premillennial, post-millennial. We looked at all millennial. Let's look at the premillennial view. The premillennial view teaches that Jesus will return to earth and then will establish a literal thousand year, that's where you get the millennial, reign on earth. Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. Okay? Now, to really complicate it, there's three different views inside this pre-millennial view. And I'm just sharing all this, so you, you're going to hear these terms thrown around. It's just uh, helpful to understand what, is, what, what, what people are thinking. So in this pre-millennial view, there is post-tribulation and mid-tribulation. And, okay, let's look at post-tribulation. Post-tribulation would believe that the rapture and the second coming are the same event. Okay? Maybe it's a little redundant, but there's only one time where Jesus comes back. That's within the premillennial view, but it's when we talk about post-tribulation, that means there's, there is an actual seven years of uh, tribulation, but at the end of it, everybody will go through the seven year of tribulation. And then there's going to be one coming. That's the post-trib view of a premillennialist list. And then there's the uh, mid-trib. And the mid-trib or pre-wrath view, it says that the rapture and the second coming are different events. And the rapture, in other words, when the church is taken out, raptured out, snatched out, 1 Thessalonians 4, that's going to be somewhere in the middle of the tribulation. It's before the fullness of God's wrath is poured out on the earth. And if you study the study Revelation, it's going to, you're going to see a progression of, uh, of, of events. So, and then it's the pre-tribulation that teaches that the rapture and the second coming are different events and that the rapture happens before the seven-year tribulation, okay? So that, that view, suddenly, Jesus comes back. All the Christians go. At first, the, the Christians that died go. And then we that are alive, we go. And then it's going to be seven years, Okay? of tribulation, and then Jesus will come back with his church to set up the millennial, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Uh, okay, so, and then there's one more. You don't hear this one much at all. Actually, you won't hear it in title, but you'll hear teachings, uh, some of it. This is post-millennialism. 
And that, that simply means Christ will come after this thousand-year reign of, of, of Christ. In other words, uh, let me just go on. It highlights human efforts and achievements, and it really encourages political and social activism, and it really shows up in spiritual warfare, uh, especially in the signs and wonders movement. And it's kind of like, we're going to conquer Satan and all his demons and bring in the kingdom. I know a few rare folks that adhere to this uh, uh, philosophy. It's very, very rare, but it's, it's out there. Post-millennialism. So maybe that's even more confusing than just saying Jesus is coming back, but I just thought I would throw that in, in, in there. What do I believe? I believe Jesus is coming back and we should be ready. To me, it's hard for me to reconcile all millennialism as, as, as much respect as I have for those that adhere uh, to it. It's hard for me to just fit scripture into it. Uh, I would, it just, it, to me, it, it makes a little more sense that there are two times when we talk about the return of Christ. Uh, what, what I just read here is Jesus is coming and the church is leaving. It just makes sense to me that there's going to be a honeymoon and it's a marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he's coming back again with the church. And there are scriptures that allude to, uh, there, there's even an Old Testament scripture that picture Jesus coming back and his feet touching the Mount of Olives. Zechariah, I think it is. Even in the in Revelation 19.20, uh, it, it just pictures Jesus coming back with his armies. And it, to me, it just makes, the package of scripture makes more sense when we talk about the return of Christ to major events. But uh, I don't, I, <laughs> I'm not going to die on the hills. I just can only read scripture and, and I'm going I'm to leave you with what I think is really important. And I'm going to do this in about five minutes. Turn with me to uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24 tends to be one of my favorite passages of scripture when it comes to the return of Christ because you don't have Paul saying it, you don't have somebody else saying it, it's Jesus himself. Matthew 24 is an amazing passage and I would invite, encourage everyone to read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 in one sitting sometime in the next week. Is that possible? I know that's asking a lot because remember these schedules. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, sometimes do that in one sitting. And slow, put a couple sila in there. Stop and think about it. In Matthew 24, Jesus comes out of the temple. His disciples start showing him, check it out. That's my paraphrase of verse 1. Jesus in verse 2 says, you know what? There's not one stone going to be left on another. And some say this, a part of that is, is already fulfilled, probably is. And then he, look, in verse, look at verse 3, it says, he, said, he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, what shall be the sign of these things? I'm sorry, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of their coming at the end of the world? So the two questions, two questions. When, what do we look for? Two chapters to answer the questions. So that's why I want you to read it. You want a summary? Summary. In a, in a, now it's about four minutes. Summary of Matthew 24 and 25. First things first. 
Don't be deceived. Check it out. Don't be deceived. Drop down to verse 11. There's going to be three manys. Verse 11 says, many will be deceived. Even though Jesus said, don't be deceived, verse 11 says, many will be deceived. Here's the second many. Iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, I'm sorry, I missed the first many. In verse 10, many will be offended. Verse 11, many deceived. Verse 12, many will have their love wax cold. That's important. In light of end times, don't be one of the many. Offended? Deceived? Lukewarm. That's what you really need to know. Then he gives three, well, there's some other parables tucked in there. Watch Israel, I think is what it says, and and watch the fig tree. But you go to chapter 25, there's three basic stories. The first story is ten virgins. You know them. I can't, I'm not going to read them, but you know five wise, five foolish. Trumpets sound. Oh, well, the, uh, something sounded. <laughs> and loud cry. Five were ready. Five weren't. I'm not sure that that's an actual salvation message in there because they had oil and it ran out. Had oil, but it ran out. I think the oil represents the spirit. I think there's a lot of people that are quenching this, uh, grieving the spirit and quenching the spirit. That's scary. That's story number one. Story number two, parable of the talents. And if I would summarize that story, I would say, take what God gave you and use it. Don't bury it. There's a lot of people that think, I only got one talent. I just won. And let the guy that has five do it. Or the two. I just got one. A bur- that man was called wicked. And it says that he went to weep, a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. And then the last story was the story of, uh, of uh, the great judgment, the sheep and the goats, sheep, goat, sheep, goat. The bottom line was the sheep's care. The sheep cared, and the goats didn't. The goats weren't visiting. The goats weren't giving. I mean, and the sheep were. So, to me, that's big. If I would summarize the three stories that Jesus gave in Matthew 25, I would say it's kind of like this: Watch and be prepared and be ready and walk in the Spirit. And you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Secondly, work. Use your gifts. Use your talents. The world has yet to see what what a church would do if everybody equally brings, I don't care if it's one, two, or five, to the table and give it. Give it all. The world has yet to see what a church with everybody using their talents could do. And then lastly, so watch, work, and then care and care deeply care and have compassion so when you use your planner this week and your timetables time seems to run out and you have schedule conflicts and all those annoying things about planners just remember that God's got a big planner it's a big timetable and in the midst of all that 
when you remember the big timetable, just watch, work, and use your gifts. And maybe I should say, don't be deceived, don't be offended, don't grow cold. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those that love him. Comfort one another with those words. Lord, we come in the name of Jesus, and we ask for that deep comfort from the depths of our hearts, that comfort that is uttered by your spirit, the still small voice. And Lord, as we look around and see the that troublesome times are here, there's so many that are afraid and terrified and fearful. Lord, I pray that we could not only comfort one another with these words, but just be beacons of hope in a lost and dying world. Bless and keep everyone that is here. And Lord, if there would be one that is here with no hope, pray that you'd draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Let's stand and have a chorus and consider yourself dismissed, or a song, whatever you have.